Turn in your Bible to the book of Mark, the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. There's a scripture in the Bible that describes you and your child. There was a problem. There was a dad that had a son that had a problem. And he tried to figure out how to solve the problem, so he went to see the disciples. And they could not solve the problem. You'll find out there's a lot of people that can't solve all of your problems. And sometimes you just have to go to the Lord. It says here in verse 14, Mark chapter 9. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? In other words, uh, the disciples evidently then got themselves in a, a jam or in a tight spot, and the multitude was asking them questions, and Jesus comes and he says, oh, you, got, you want to know something, why don't, why don't you just ask me? But they were asking the disciples. So in verse uh, 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have a problem. I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. Now, some of y'all might relate to that if you have a son. You say, I have a son and he's dumb. Sometimes we think they're pretty dumb. So the title of tonight's message is The Smart Man with a Dumb Son. Now, the, the smart dad did the right thing. His son had a problem, so he wanted to try to get it solved. And all of us, believe it or not, have problems. And uh, sometimes the only one that can be the solution to the problem is, is the Lord himself. So he says there in verse 18, And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And you all that underline these four words, bring him unto me. Now, everybody has a problem. It might not be that you have a dumb spirit living inside of you, but who knows how many demon-possessed people there are. There was an awful lot in the days of Christ. I've had people tell experiences. I've never worried about being demon-possessed because I believe that when I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within me, and greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world, and there's no room for Him. So I don't worry about that. And I believe the greatest thing is not going all over and casting out devils, just leading to Christ. If you lead a person to the Lord, you don't have to worry about that. But there is a thing about being demon-oppressed. You can become so oppressed not possessed, but oppressed, just with the pressures. As it says in the book of uh, Peter about Lot, who vexed his righteous soul from day unto day with the unlawful deeds of the wicked because of what he saw and what he heard. So you can vex your righteous soul and the pressures, the things you think, your imagination, how it can run wild with you, all kinds of things that can take place. And I believe the old devil can not read your thought, but he 
interjects thoughts into your mind can give you things. Like Jesus said to Peter, he says, Satan hath put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, if you remember. And he told Peter, get behind me, Satan, because what he was saying, and he didn't know it was Satan. All he knew was he was just, probably thought he was, he thought of it all by himself. So there's a lot of things that we don't know because of the spiritual realm that we cannot see. We're told about it, we're warned about it, but there is a, a few things that we should all know, the symptoms, the symptoms. And so we look at the symptoms of the human race, and you think, is there any cure for the human race? I often wonder if there's any cure for America. When you see all the things that's going on and how wicked people are, and it seems like everybody's just so greedy. And the only reason they want to get into power is so they can get something, uh, you know, is for their own glory. And you think, does anybody really care about people and helping people? And a lot of people don't mind helping people with somebody else's money. That, you know, they take it from them and they give it to these. And they think, oh, I'm doing such a wonderful, good job. I took all the money from those people who had more than they needed, and I gave it to Yeah, but who wants you to do that? But there's people that believe that that is their calling in life. But one of the symptoms is, is there, there is a loss of direction. See, people have lost direction. The Bible says it's not within man that walketh to determine his steps, to guide himself. And so, therefore, that's why we need the Lord to cast our cares upon him, to lean upon him. He will direct our paths. And so today it's like people have no shepherd. And those who follow somebody, well, they, the ones they follow don't know where they're going. And the blind lead the blind. They both fall into the ditch. We're watching people here in America destroying America. You can see it by the decisions that they make. It reveals their philosophy of life, their philosophy of government. It reveals who their God is, what they think is right or wrong, if there is such a thing. And so, therefore, we are able to see consequences of people's ill-advised decisions. And I remember a man standing up and says, change is coming to America. Well, like one person says, we'll keep our religion and we'll keep our guns and you can keep the change. I just heard that recently. But yes, it's, it's bad. But look what he says down here. In verse 20, And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. He asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? He says, Of a child. Now remember, our problem doesn't start when we become adults. Our problem starts when we were a child. When we were born with an old sinful nature, we were born without a GPS. And the other thing is, is the file emission from the voice of man. When you listen to some of the vulgar talk of people. Now, I, I'm not I don't, I'm saying this, but I've never sworn a cuss word in my life. I don't see why anybody has to. But I really don't like to be around people who use profanity, who are always swearing about something and asking God of heaven to damn something or somebody. I just don't think it's necessary. And if you really thought it through, it doesn't make good sense. I guess it just shows that they have a lack of vocabulary. They don't have enough words to, to really articulate what they want to say. And um, some people forget their 
origin. They have amnesia. They can't remember. In spite of everything, if you could teach a dog to talk and to walk on his hind legs and to wiggle his ears and to jump on the top of a ball and bounce around, if you could teach a dog to do all of those things, when you have the most educated dog, the most intellectual dog, you still have got only a dog. It's still just a dog. When you take a man, I don't care what kind of a man and how much he learns and how much skills he has and what he has developed and what he knows and all that, he's still just a man. You don't make a God out of a man. You don't worship a man. You don't make a man an idol. The Hollywood stars and the rock bands, those are not our gods and they should not be. But there's a lot of children that grow up and that becomes their gods. And they want to be like them and they do whatever they say do and... They go on to drugs, they want drugs and whatever. It's just, that's the way it is. But he makes a statement down here. How long? Since a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And if thou canst do anything, if. Does the word if give you the connotation this man has a lot of faith? Or is there any questions and doubts in his mind? See, later on he says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. In other words, I want to believe, but I've got questions and I've got doubts. A lot of times I've led people to the Lord because they said, you know, I want to believe it. I want to trust the Lord. But I got questions and doubts. I said, trust the Lord with the questions and doubts. No man has ever lived long enough to get all the answers that satisfies all of his questions and doubts. But go ahead and trust Christ as your Savior and then trust the Lord to give you the answers to those other things as you go through life. At least you took care of this. So trust the Lord the best you know how, the best that you can, even though you don't fully understand everything. When I got saved, I didn't understand everything. All I knew is that I'm lost and he's a Savior and if I trust him, I'll go to heaven. So I trusted Christ as my Savior. But look what he says in verse 17. He says, but whatever you can do, Lord, have compassion on us and help us. Now, he's a dad, but he's bringing his son to the Lord. And when he asked for help, it was because he also needed compassion. Did you know whenever you have a child and something's wrong, you hurt? And you hurt probably more than the kid does. Because, you see, the more you love somebody, the more it hurts you. So he said, have compassion, not just on the kid that needs the help, but compassion on both of us. Help us. Because the daddy evidently was at his wit's end. He didn't have nobody else to turn to. He'd already done tried everything and everybody, but Christ says, bring them to me. So he makes a statement here in verse 24. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. See, maybe a lot of other people would have never known the source of his real problem. And sometimes there's demonic powers that we know nothing about. And that's why we should always be careful before we just prejudge that somebody is just purposely mean and ugly because they just don't like you. And there might be another reason that lies behind that we cannot see. There is a spiritual battle that goes on. 
I, I just believe in just trying to get people to the Lord and get them to see and understand and trust Christ as Savior. I have listened to missionaries. I've listened to Ray Stanford. I've listened to Reverend Miller, who used to teach at FBC. I've heard Dr. Seymour talk about the times when they were called at the college and asked if they would come down to this warehouse because somebody got a job at a warehouse and there were strange things going on. And so they didn't want to go, but they thought they'd just ask if a couple of the teachers could go down. And so these are two of the heavies. Dr. Miller, who had been a missionary in Ecuador and also down in Cuba, that's where Ray Stanford had met him. And um, they had gotten thousands and thousands of tracks, and they covered the island of Cuba right before Castro took over. And that's where they met him. And he came to college and became our missions teacher. And I was the president of the first missions class. But him and Dr. Seymour, who is skeptical about everything, there is no better skeptic than Dr. Seymour. And the guy was a great teacher, great Bible teacher. And he could, he could, he could take you and, and strip your mind of everything that you really believed in <laughs> and fill it with questions and doubts. But he'd always come back around and restore everything. But he was, he was just good. They called up and they said, we have a, a warehouse that's haunted. And here's two of the kingpins of Florida Bible College going to check it out. So they went to the warehouse, and they were looking and seeing if they could see anything or hear anything strange or going on, you know. Reverend Miller was walking down, and Dr. Seymour was behind him. And all of a sudden, this box comes off of a shelf and started following <laughs> right behind Reverend Miller. And Reverend Miller didn't know it. But the other guy was standing there watching it come off the shelf and following him down the aisle. And he says, Reverend Miller. And Reverend Miller turned around. The box turned upside down and everything in it fell out and broke on the floor. It was interesting to listen to him tell the story. Because if there is a skeptic, it's him. He says, I don't know how to explain it, but I saw it. Ray Stanford tells the story about when he went down into uh, South America. Him and Dr. Cameron, the other two heavies. And there was this woman that was outside, and she evidently was demon-possessed. And this woman was saying all kinds of things, ugly things, warning against the Dr. Stanford and so forth. And, and Ray did nothing more than just got up to her. And started talking to her about how God loves her. She trusted Christ as Savior. And she'd been like that for years. And all of a sudden she was just as calm and cool. And everything was fine. And Ray just, had just led her to the Lord. So there's more that goes on than what you and I know. But one thing that God does teach against is sitting around your table. Snapping your toes or your fingers and holding hands and trying to conjure up the dead. Stay away from mediums. You know what a jolly fortune teller is. It's a happy medium. <laughs> but you stay away from them. And God says it's an abomination to seek for the living among the dead. By asking the dead to conjure up your aunt or your uncle or somebody's dead that you want. There's more to it than meets the eye. God says just stay away from it. If you want to know things 
You just study God's word and you know all about the future you need to know right here. Outside of this, you don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you did know, you'd probably kill yourself today. So you don't need to know. So anyway, he goes through here and he says, in verse 26, The Spirit cried, rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, saying, Why could not we cast him out? He said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, I don't understand everything about this. I, I don't need to know. All I know is that sometimes nobody can do anything except bring them to Jesus. I believe that's the biggest cure that we can have for anybody. And the symptoms of the old human nature, the sinful nature that we have, that is our problem with everybody born as a child. And as we live, it expresses itself more and more. And one of those, of course, is a person who has such lack of peace and lack of joy. When there's no peace and there's no joy, you know something's wrong in your life spiritually. When you have lost direction, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, there's something wrong spiritually. If you know the Lord, it means that there's something that's clogging up the channel, the, the, the blessings of God coming to you. It could be sin in your life or whatever. I don't know. But I always want to seek to try to think the way God wants me to think and, and live and so forth the, God's way. There's also a selfish or violent behavior. Selfish or violent behavior. That sometimes out of the clear blue sky, somebody can be so sweet and nice and kind can become so violent just that fast. Now, there is a possibility that there's other things in the works that you can't see and understand. But God wants us as his children to realize it. There's more than what meets the eye. That's what the word Proverbs is about. Pro and verbum mean more than meets the eye. You read it and there's more there than what you just see on the surface. So understand that the old sinful nature is selfish. The old sinful nature is rebellious. The old sinful nature worships and it's idolatry because it is as the sin of witchcraft. And it leads to the rebellion that you have against God or anybody. It can be the husband against the wife, the wife against the husband, the kids against the parents, parents against kids. Everybody has within them that nature of rebellion. And we got it as a child. And it becomes more evident the older we get. When the kids are real small, it's not as evident. Well, it, when they're twos and threes, it is. And then they get a little bit older, and then when they become teenagers, buddy, it becomes full-blown. And then sometimes adults never get it under control, and they live out of control all their life. Now, there's only one thing that can help any of us at any given stage, and that's the Lord. You'd be surprised how everyone in this room would be if it wasn't for the Lord. How ugly you would really be. Just think, you are under spirit control. And how are you doing? And it doesn't take much to make us lose it. To get so angry, so bitter, so quick. To become so discouraged and so depressed. 
so out of joy, so out of peace, and it can happen so quickly. That's why there's so many that live a life of fearfulness. They're afraid of the future. They're afraid of tomorrow. Some are afraid to go to sleep at night. Some are afraid because of the Obamacare. I don't care. Some are afraid because of the IRS, what's going on in government. You can live your whole life in fear. But it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear produces torment. And when you don't have your total trust in the Lord, fear will take over the control of your life. And fear is an emotional quality, just like love is. When you're filled with love, there's a different expression about yourself, a different attitude, a different outlook. And when fear is controlling you, it turns into bitterness and the anger and all of that because there's fear, afraid of something. And that something can be different for different people. Sometimes you have to figure out what's causing it. Most people are like Mercedes, but they have a broken piece that's not working, right? And so they're running like a broken down Volkswagen. You don't want to junk the whole car. You just try to find out what part is broken. If I can fix that one little part, if I can find out what it is. And just like the Lord talks about, you know, knock, it shall be open. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and you shall receive. It means continually. But it's not just for things that you want. It can also be what you see that needs to be done in the lives of those you love. Do you keep seeking for a way, an opportunity, how to solve this problem, how to get them to see something? And you pray and you trust the Lord to open up the door at the right time because you believe. And you may at times in your life do just like this man did. Lord, I believe. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. Because I don't have full confidence. Therefore, I'm not as bold as I ought to be. Fear can destroy your life. It is a success crusher. Now, there are a few things that Christ says, you know, bring them to me. And he made the statement that this would be done in verse 25, the last part of it. Come out of him and enter no more into him. Never again. Never again. You'll never do it again. You know, in the book of Genesis in chapter 9, after the Lord had destroyed the earth by water. He made a promise to Noah. He said, never again. He said, I'm not going to do this again. Now, I don't know why. If they needed to be zapped, he said, I'll never do it again. And then he gave us a rainbow as a promise that when we see the rainbow, we can believe the promise of God. God says, uh, that's the evidence of my word being given. Uh, this is my promise that I made. So there's some things that God says that's uh, never again. I, I want you to think about what I'm saying here now. As you go through the history of mankind, God made a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They lived, they sinned, they were cast out of the garden, and they died. That event, that event, will never take place again. They had one chance to get it right, <laughs> and they got it wrong. One opportunity, one command, 
and they blew it. They can't say like we do when we play golf. I want a mulligan. Anybody know what a mulligan is? What is a mulligan, Herman? You get to do it over without costing you anything. It didn't count. But some things you can't do over. Some things are irreversible. Some things you can correct. Some things you can forgive and everything will be fine. Some things you can forgive and it will never be the same. Never be the same again. There was a man named Moses. You know, there'll never be another Moses. There'll never be another man that God says, Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, one is, they're not down there anymore. He will never have to part the Red Sea again. It happened one time, one event, and then it's gone. There's only one man like Abraham that God called and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Only one man. He was already an old man and he only had one chance. He only had one son that God could have used. He says it can't be Ishmael, it's got to be Isaac. Because God had a plan. That event will never take place again. Or when you read about Joseph, there'll never be another Joseph. Joseph was a man who lived and went from the pit the prison, and then to the, a Pharaoh. Next to Pharaoh, and then look how God used him. And yet it was God that sent him there. God produced the famine that caused his family of 70 to go down into Egypt. Well, what if God hadn't have done it? See, God had a plan. And God was just sending somebody in advance. God knew what he was doing. And he doesn't ask our approval. But that happened one time in history. It'll never be repeated. The flood will never be repeated. It'll never happen again. We hear about Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Did you know it was God who allowed that scenario to take place? Daniel in the lion's den was, I believe, in the long run, because God permitted, this is God's idea. Daniel hadn't done anything wrong. But God permitted people that were bad to do these bad things to him. But God used it for his honor and glory. How many little kids have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den? But what if God hadn't let that happen? There would have been no story. There would have never been the story about David and Goliath. You know, he didn't kill a Goliath every day of his life. One time he killed a bear. One time he killed a lion with his bare hands. And he killed Goliath. He had a few brothers and took care of that too later. But you see, those are one-time events that took place that will never happen again.